throughout Peter, we are called strangers and exiles. This world is not our home. We are now priests in God's kingdom, and we are to point others to Jesus in the way we live our lives, especially in suffering. When we anchor our hope in Jesus, we can show people how to live better, not bitter. Good morning. That's a good start. First service never starts out like that. So it's like, good job. Good morning. Well, welcome all of you. Welcome those who are online too. We are jumping right back into the book of 1 Peter, which is kind of funny. It's a letter, not a book, but it's a book, but not a letter. But anyway, I wanted, there's something interesting about the title of this letter, 1 Peter. It's the first letter that Peter wrote. But what's interesting is Peter, Peter is not his original name. So... Let's just start by, let's have a conversation here. This was really interesting first service. What's a nickname you got growing up? Or maybe it's a nickname or name you have today that's not really the name your parents gave you. It's like, we didn't know that. But it's like, what's a nickname? And those online, you, like if you're on Facebook Live, you can just like type it in there so we can see your name. What is a nickname or name that you go by that was not one your parents gave you? Come on, let's hear it. Buddy. buddy. Like Buddy the Elf? <laughs> buddy, when'd you get Buddy? It's like from a little, and they still call you Buddy? Okay, now it's off and now. So this is kind of risky, right? Because we might let something out that we're not going to live down. Keep going. Others. Well, hold on. Rusty, just a second. Cha-cha? Did I hear cha? Cha-cha. Now, is this appropriate for church? Can we share? <laughs> so what's cha-cha? So she would say cha-cha. Cha-cha. Because in her daycare, that's, that's really cool. Did I hear Rusty over here? Rusty. Ansel is Rusty. We don't call you. <laughs> that's awesome. How about upper deck people? We always have to hear something from the upper deck. Ray's standing. Ray, do you got one? Is Ray? What? Raymo. Raymo. So when did you get Raymo as a... Oh, yeah, Ramo. It's like you were kind of urban before urban was cool, right? <laughs> Ramo. Big R. That's pretty good. I didn't share this in the first service, and Kara's back there, my wife. I don't think she knows this. I got a nickname in sixth grade. You want to guess? It was Hyper. <laughs> I think I must have lived before ADHD was a diagnosis, but it was like Hyper. It didn't last very long. But I actually had a nickname through sixth grade. That was kind of funny. Well, Peter, Peter's real name is actually Simon, right? Simon. Simon means God heard me or God heard us. So it's interesting. That was his original name, but Jesus gave him a different name. Jesus gave him a name, and actually we see Jesus as God on earth. We actually see God give a lot of people new names that kind of, which is funny because we think of, yeah, Lefty, Stumpy, Bubba, right? But these names actually are pretty, pretty solid. It kind of changed the direction of their life. And so what we see is Jesus gives Peter, or gives Simon a name, Peter. And in Aramaic, it was Cephas. In Greek, it is Petros. And we translate that in English to Peter. And it means what? Rock. Rock. Like today we have 
Dwayne Johnson, right? The Rock. Well, he was kind of the Dwayne Johnson of his time, The Rock. And what's interesting is, is I think one of the times you see Peter call this out, or, or Jesus call this out, is at Caesarea Philippi. And you guys know I love that story. Karen and I were there last year. Caesarea Philippi is this 100-foot rock face with all these pagan uh, gods carved, all these dead gods par- carved into this rock face. And Jesus is standing there, and he asks his disciples, who do people say I am? And they all start guessing. Well, some think you're Elijah. You know, they all guess these old prophet names. But then Peter, Peter says, or Simon says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Amongst all those dead gods, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and, and Jesus is just jacked for him. He says, and your name is Peter, which means rock. And on this rock, I'll build my church. And so Peter, uh, that name, he lives up to that name, the rock. He becomes a great leader that actually expands the church out into the northern part of the Mediterranean. And uh, so it's no surprise as we jump into the letter here in chapter two that he uses the image of rocks throughout. And so turn with me to 1 Peter chapter two. It's way towards the back of your Bible. And so when you get back there, it's a pretty short book. It's only, this letter's only five chapters long. And I want to welcome everybody to our guest today. My name is Brian. I'm our lead pastor. And when you got this worship guide, when you walk in, there's an outline here of what we're going to talk about in 1 Peter chapter 2 today. So feel free to fill these in, unless it's already filled in for you, right? Some people already got one already filled in. And just follow along with us. Uh, One thing I want to bring up here, just one commercial note that's really important. Helping international students, these are all the big events that are going on. Our newsletter has everything going on. This just kind of has some of the bigger stuff going on. But helping international students, for those of you who come to second service, you miss, there's probably at least a dozen international students here in our first service, you know, that come during first service. And helping international student ministries will have, there's a total of over 2,000 students that come in from all around the world to Kansas State University and are arriving right now, been arriving in the month of August. The helping international students is a way to friend them, uh, connect with them. But there's two events going on, and we would love, it's a big part of our ministry. We love connecting here as a church with his. And so you can scan this QR code, but today there is an event called the Welcome Dinner. They're all being invited to this dinner today. You can sign up now and go there at one o'clock, and I think you can just show up, and they'll, they'll take you as a volunteer. But go help them out today. I think the dinner actually starts at six, but I think volunteers can be there as early as one today, and you will see the ends of the earth right here. But there's another event next week, next Saturday, that we need those strong bodies to show up is the, is the student, is the, I'm sorry, the furniture giveaway. So a lot of these international students arrive with just their bags. They don't have any furniture or anything. And so what happens is on the 19th is there's a parking lot that's filled with donated furniture. And with all the volunteers, we send several from Westview. We'd love you to be there. We just need strong backs. And what happens is they get to pick furniture, like a bed or anything that they need to actually take. And then you actually get to go with them in a vehicle and help take that into their home and get to know them. And, and, we, and we would love it if you fall in love with some of our international students and just bring you know, be a friend to them, help them settle in. It's a big part of our church. So all that's going on right now, please join in. It's just, if you haven't ever had an international student friend, um, I, we, we had one from Egypt, and we just saw he got ordained this weekend. I didn't even know he was going through an ordination process, so it's really cool. We haven't seen him in a few years, but he was a friend that we had years ago. Whew, all that going on. This place is always exciting. Let's start in prayer. Would you bow your heads with me before we jump into God's word together? Holy Spirit, we ask as we go into uh, this really visual image in chapter two of of stones and rocks that even though this was written about 2,000 years ago, it really has importance to us today. And as we say, this wasn't written to us, but it is written for us. 
So help us as a struggling church today. Help us see this, but help each one of us see the importance each individual life in this room is to the church. And help us, help us to not be bitter, but to be better. Holy Spirit, pull out in our hearts what's off and correct us. Guide us in, in just the light of the Savior and a life that's full of joy that has nothing to do with the circumstance. It has the joy of who we belong to and where we're going. And so we lift this time up to you. Work on our hearts. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're only in week two, so let me back up to chapter one really quick in First Peter. First Peter, as we said, he's writing this letter to the church in Asia Minor. For those of you, uh, that's actually modern-day Turkey, so that's a Roman province. These are Roman citizens, quite a mix of people, different nationalities and so forth up there. And what's happening is, this is in 64 AD, so just to recap really quick, what's happening is Emperor Nero is the emperor of Rome. He is actually really starting to persecute. He's the first emperor that really starts a systematic persecution of the Christian church and so we're seeing now the synagogue is rejecting this Messiah we're seeing Rome pushing back and the early young church is actually getting pushed into the margins of society and are under heavy persecution Nero's brutal and I'll talk more about that next week a little bit and during all this Peter writes this letter to these churches up in this Roman province and he tells them the overall message in here is hey be better not bitter we're going to see some of that bitterness today and what's interesting is this letter really connects with us today. I would say 30 years ago, one has much, but today Christianity is not in the center of our culture. We are what we call a post-Christian nation. Largely the culture screams, keep your faith private, so the Christian church has kind of moved to the margins here. While we're not seeing the persecution that this church has seen, it's really been pushed to the margins. And in fairness, the last three years, Christians have really reacted in bitterness. And so I think this message really applies to us well today. Last week, well, if I can summarize chapter one, Peter says, live as foreigners, live as exiles. This isn't your home. And he, the heart of the message in this last week and today is the grace we have, the love of God we have through our salvation. Because of that, we live differently. We're new now, and we have new life in eternity where we're heading. And so he said, last week, he says, live as foreigners and exiles with great expectation. Live better with great expectation in the hope of our salvation. And so this week, the rock, Peter, talks about rocks and how we can actually lean into Jesus and lean into each other. And so I'm going to, while I'm in chapter two, bear with me, I am going to jump all around. I'm going to go forward and backward and forward and backward, but I think you'll be able to hang with me here a little bit and understand why. So I'm going to start in 1 Peter 2, starting in verse 6. As the scriptures say, Peter writes, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor. And anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him, but for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. And they stumble because they do not obey God's word, and so they meet the fate that was planned for them. All right, so Peter's using some old, he's using an Old Testament reference here. He's going back to Isaiah. He's quoting out of the Old Testament book of Isaiah, and he's given them a prophecy that the Messiah will come, and Jesus did come. And his life, his death, his resurrection happened. 
And he says Jesus is the cornerstone. He describes him as a cornerstone. And anybody who believes in him and trusts in him will never be put to shame. Think of that. Anybody who trusts in him will never be put to shame. But those that reject him, the stone that came as a corner, the stone that got rejected by the builders has now become the cornerstone. And so what's that all about? Well, let's jump into this. Let's go into sermon note number one. What's all being said here is Jesus builds up or causes falls. Jesus builds up or causes falls. Jesus is the cornerstone of the church. When Jesus' life, death, and resurrection we rose, the church was birthed on Pentecost. Here's Peter who's helped birth the church. It's spreading worldwide around, especially around the Mediterranean. And he's saying, hey, the cornerstone of our church is Jesus. And all the other stones line up on that one. And in ancient construction, let me show you, this is an old Roman construction from that area. The cornerstone is the large stone at the corner of the building that is set true. You spend a lot of time on it. You set it and it's true and then you build all the wall off of that one. So it has to be perfect or else everything else gets off. So this is a huge cornerstone. Kara and I were in Israel last year. I'm standing at the base of, uh, of, of the Temple Mount. And it's like 80 foot up. And this cornerstone probably is as big as this stage. How did they get a stone there big? I have no idea. But to look up 80 foot and look at that cornerstone sitting there on the corner of the Temple Mount and how much weight and how everything was true and based off that, and that stone's been there for thousands of years. But Jesus is a cornerstone of the church today. So we brought one, not as big as the one we saw in Israel, but let's call this here. This is a cornerstone right here. One of the biggest things that Jesus told us is out of John 14 where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way. Everything lines up off me. I am the truth, and that's how you line up straight. And I am the life, the life you can have now, new, and the life that you will have eternally with me. And so all those are like cornerstone talk. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Line up off of me. Line up off of me. And you'll get this right. And so when we look at Jesus as a cornerstone, what that means is when we come to believe in him and follow him, we line up off that cornerstone. And we build our lives in line with his. And what's interesting is this rock is, this is like say us, it's not perfect. It's not perfect. But it looks perfect because of him. And so we start lining up And we start building off this cornerstone. And that's what the Christian faith is all about. I didn't say this in first service, but this actually, this word actually trans, transpires also to capstone, which is the last stone that you put on. And so both words are kind of interchangeable. And, and so the capstone is the one that holds it all together. The cornerstone is the one we build off the capstone holds it all together. Jesus says, gosh, I think it was in, I should have wrote this down, Luke 20, I think he says. I'm the one that makes them fall and I'm the one that also falls down on them. Like he's referring to both. 
I'll bonk them on the head, trip them up. And Jesus is both. He's a cornerstone we build off of. He's a capstone that holds us all together. But he also said, I'm a stumbling block. He builds up or he causes falls. I'm a stumbling block to those who don't believe. He's a trip hazard that makes people fall. And so I think a lot of times when you read commentaries or you read this scripture about the stone that makes them fall, it refers to judgment. Like for those that reject Jesus for their whole lifetime are subject to judgment on the day they die. But I think it's much earlier than that. I think Jesus is a stone that causes us to trip. I think it's grace. <laughs> I think he says, I want you to stumble now. Why would Jesus want us to stumble now? Anytime, I think when we look at this, is him being a cornerstone that trips us, is anytime we're heading in the wrong direction, anytime that we're loving this world and not paying attention to him, anytime we're living for everything now and don't care anything about our creator or the one who died and saved us, he wants us to trip over that because we're heading in the wrong direction. In grace, which is love coming towards us, Jesus wants to trip us up because he knows we're being deceived to love everything about this world and forget about him. He wants us, he knows that and when we love this world and we chase the things of this world, we're gonna lose him in relationship and we lose him in relationship, our relationship with others suffer too. And he knows the direction we're going is dark, it causes pain, we might achieve all this stuff and we're still unsatisfied because we can't figure out because we're living for now and not for the billions of years in eternity with him. And so in Jesus in grace and love, he would be the stone that causes us to stumble because he'd rather us have a skinned knee than be eternally separated from his love. So remember, Peter's writing this to a very, in the ancient church, on the edge of society, they become very bitter, and I think we see it. So let's jump back to verse one now. I think you're gonna see the bitterness in the language here, what the church was going through. So Peter writes, he says, so get rid of all evil behavior. Be done, be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into the full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. For you are coming to Christ, who is a living cornerstone of God's temple. And he was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. So Peter doesn't say, he says, hey, if this ever happens, quit it. It's happening. He said, get rid of all the evil behavior. Get rid of the bitter behavior. Get rid of the deceitfulness. Get rid of the hypocrisy where you act like this when you're in a synagogue or the church and then you go act like this the rest of the week. Get rid of your jealousy and all the unkind speech. Get rid of it. Because all those things, deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and unkind speech, all those things have one thing in common. They are the opposite of love. The opposite of love. Remember Jesus said, what's the great commandment? Love God with all you got. Love your neighbor, even that neighbor. And we're like that. That's the opposite. So here's a couple notes together. We're gonna put together bitterness. Bitterness closes the church. 
Now I need to start off by reminding, I say this almost every Sunday, I think I'll say it almost every Sunday or every time we're together until I'm no longer talking. <laughs> news of Jesus Christ who came to save us all. The hope that we all have, not in this 87 years or 78 years on this planet, but the billions of years that God desires us in eternity, that's what his love is like. And when we get bitter, we don't care about telling people about that good news. We love to tell the bad news. You're a sinner, you're going to hell. Instead, tell him there's a Lord who loves you, sent his son to save you, and he wants eternity with you. So we get bitter, and it closes those things down, and then the church quits impacting the community, and then what happens with any trend of death? The church closes. Now, I know I just said a church isn't a building, but that's the last thing we see is we see a building close. But what happened is the people's hearts closed a long time before that. And it struggles for me. I work at a regional level with churches in revitalization. It struggles for me to watch. We've closed two churches this year who lost their love and were bitter. They lost their love for being the church that Christ has called them to be. And it's really hard to close a church. And that's why we fight here every day in the tension of being better, not bitter. With all that said, Here's the second part of that note. While bitterness closes a church, betterness builds it. Betterness is a new word. We just made it. And so I know we can put it on the World Wide Web and it'll just be, it'll be accepted from now on. Betterness builds a church. He says, he shifts in language. Don't be like this, be like this. He says, in Christ you have new life. You're born again now. That means you have new life now in him and new life waiting in eternity for you. It, you don't have to wait as a Christian forever. It's new life now in him. He says, so act like you're born new. Crave spiritual milk. Some people take that scripture and they say it's talking about immature Christians or people new. No, 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 it's talking about all of us. It's saying, act like children, crave spiritual milk. When you are drawn to him and you walk through that door to be a follower, crave everyday spiritual milk, grow and be nourished. So many times, so many times people believe like I can come to Christ by saying a prayer and then they be baptized and they stop. They never crave spiritual milk or growth. And so what it says is that if you crave spiritual milk, if you decide to follow Christ and you walk through that door, crave spiritual milk every day so you can feel the fullness of your salvation. And so many people never experience that fullness. They're kind of happy with a get out of jail free card and they live their life for the world. And we don't want to be like that. So crave spiritual milk every day and it starts at the cornerstone. Be drawn to the cornerstone, which is Christ. Come to it. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Come to it. Taste and see. We sang that last week. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And when that happens, when we start building off the cornerstone, we transform as a church. We change, and we get better. We get better. Not bitter. Let's jump back to verse 5. Now he kind of adds this image about what's going on here of us all being built off this cornerstone. And he says, and you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. And what's more, you are his holy priests. And through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. There's so much in here. 
and he's given us the Old Testament version of God came, Israel was created at the center of the world, that God, and they built a temple there, God's presence was there, the holy of holies, man wasn't as holy and sinful, so they had priests that mediate between man and God, but people would come all over to Jerusalem to the temple because the presence of God was in a building, and priests would mediate that. He said, but because of the mediation of Jesus, because of his life, his death, his resurrection, each one of us is now a living stone. He said, because of Jesus, God's presence is no longer in a temple in Jerusalem. God's presence is in you. Because of what Christ did on a cross, God's presence dwells in those who believe and he's given the Holy Spirit for that. So you don't have to come here to find sacred space and holy ground. It is wherever you walk because of the presence of the one who's in you. And when you take a bunch of living stones and the presence of God and you put them all together and you build them off the cornerstone, you have the church, the spiritual temple of God, and we're everywhere. We're gonna leave here and the church is gonna be everywhere. living, breathing stones that come together off the cornerstone to form a community. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a foretaste of heaven. The church is a foretaste of heaven. It is what one day we're all children of God into his family, and one day we're all gonna be together. That's what we call heaven. So church right now is a foretaste of that. And imagine how a church under Nero and the persecution and the bad things he was doing to them and they're being rejected by everybody around him and they're feeling so ostracized. Imagine how encouraging this message is is that you are a living temple together. You are amazing. And Peter says, I'm not done yet. Let me explain more what you are. Let's go to verse nine. He says, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests. You are a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, but now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, but now you have received God's mercy through Christ. And so there's four things, four things. Corey, let's keep this here a second. Four things he's saying that are going to make you feel really uncomfortable. You are his chosen people. You are his chosen people. Uh, Karen Jobes writes, God's chosen people are his inheritance, his treasure. He shelters them. He carries them in his arms. He bears them on his shoulders. He holds them in his hands and he seats them at his feet. That's what it's like to be chosen people. You are royal priests. Now I gotta break this one down. For first you are royal in the Old Testament, the only way I could be royal is to be born into a family that was royal. Today in Europe, right, if you want to be into royalty, everybody watches the royalty in Europe, you've got to be born into that family of royalty. He says, not you guys. Because of Christ, you are part of the royal family. You have an inheritance into the family of God. He says, you are royalty. You are royalty royalty never thought about that did you 
And he said, you're priests. This one bothers us a little bit. For those who, like me who maybe come out of a Catholic background, Orthodox background, you're priests. Because of the presence of God in you, you are now an intercessor between, well first, because of God's presence in you, because of what Jesus did, I can approach the throne. When we go in prayer, we have access to the king. We'll have no access to other kings in our entire life on this planet, but we have access to the king. I can walk right up to him because of Christ. And because I can walk into the presence of the holy, I can bring others into there. I can intercede. We're priests. We have robes for you guys and funny hats before you leave today just so you feel like a priest. No, we don't. You're priests. And you're a holy nation. Christians are distinct from all their nations with geographical boundaries due to their devotion to God. And you're God's very own possession. I think it's beautiful. He's our father. He's our creator. We're his children. And he paid a ransom for us through the precious blood of his son. We're purchased at a price. We're his very own beautiful, precious possession. All four of those things you are for those who follow Christ. But it's nothing you did. It's everything he did. Because of Christ, we are chosen people, royal priests, holy nation, God's very own possession. So live better. <laughs> live better. Don't be bitter. And you notice in those four things, there's not one reference to individualism, is there? You are people, you are people, you are people, you are people. We all are dependent on each other. In a highly individualistic society, we say Christianity is my thing. No. It's not. It's an us thing. It's an us thing. We once had no identity as a people. We were lost in sin, wandering the world, looking for hope, chasing the world, chasing our jobs, chasing our education. All these things we got them and it just didn't last very long. We, we had no idea what hope was and now we found Christ and we found a new family even if it's getting pushed to the margins. The church of Jesus Christ, universal, is called his bride. His bride. His beautiful bride. Jesus is coming back for his bride, if you read the book of Revelation. He's coming back for the church. Why is she so beautiful? Why is the church so beautiful? These living stones placed in, in position to the cornerstone are also different. In Peter's time, when Peter's writing this, there was Greek and there was Roman and there was Jewish and there's these different social classes, different nationalities, different generations. In Peter's time, he says they're all together in the church. The beauty of us today, off the cornerstone is we're all different. When you come here on a Sunday, there's, there's, there's all these different nationalities in our church, a lot more expressive in the first service, but there was, we, we, have, we have people that are first generation Mexican, Nigerian, uh, Vietnamese, Chinese. We have all these different people that come here as part of our church. We, when you look around this room, you have all these people who are 
from the west side of town, affluent. You have people who are middle class. And we have those who struggle or are poor. Here, in this room. We have, we have male and female, both equally important in the Holy Spirit and how he works in our lives. We have different generations here. We have silent generation, not many of those left. <laughs> we have boomers, Gen Xers, millennials, Gen Zs, and now Gen Alpha. Our kids are Gen Alpha. We have six generations in this room, all different. Grew up in different cultures, shaped by different things. We have Kansans, Missourians, Oklahomans, Nebraskans. <laughs> all different. All different, all diverse, and we look perfect to the Father because of our cornerstone. Every one of us looks perfect to him. Even though we fit kind of funky together, it's a beautiful thing. And the more diverse we are, the more beautiful we can see what Christ does. Our differences make the church beautiful and expansive and better. Sometimes churches try to make us all alike. Please don't do that. Our differences are what makes us more beautiful and more expansive. And we're all here for one reason, our cornerstone. He's the one that brings us together. He's the one that holds us together. He's the one that builds us. It's Christ. We just gotta follow. And because of that, we have one identity together, beautifully diverse, but we only have one identity together, and it's not American. It's not Kansan. It's not Manhattanite. It's not Democrat or Republican. It's not Wesleyan even. It's Christ. That's the one identity we all have together. We all come here because of him. And that's what makes us amazing and better. All right, so First Peter, let's go back. He's wrapping up here a little bit. I encourage you to read the whole chapter because we're not hitting everything in there. Um, we're hitting kind of the key points, but here we are in verse 11. So Peter's kind of wrapping up this part, and he's saying, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from the worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. This is the third time that Peter says, you are temporary residents, you are exiles, you are foreigners. This isn't our home. Our home is when Christ comes back and restores all this to perfection. That's our home in the family of God. That's our home. So live like that. Don't live like this world is all there is. Because he says, when you live like all this world, this world is all is achieve all these things, get these cars, buy these houses, do all these things. He says, that world will wage war with your soul. And it'll destroy every relationship you have with God and it will work on destroying your relationship with everybody else. He said instead, be the light amongst our neighbors. That's your fifth note. Even for a church that's being pushed to the corners, be a light for your unbelieving neighbor. Do you notice there's one rock that isn't here? Look at this rock. Look how far it is away. This rock right here. Sorry, those online, let's move it here. 
You know who that rock is? That rock is your one. That rock is, I want you to put a name to it. That rock is the one person in your family that doesn't know Christ. That rock is the one friend you have that's so far away in suffering and walking in darkness. That one rock is a rock that will stumble and keep tripping over the cornerstone. And the worst thing we could ever say as a Christian is, ha, that's what you get. What we do is when we see the ones are one, who is this rock? I want you to write this name on your heart. Who is this rock that you care about? And when they fall, and when they trip, because Jesus would rather have a skinned knee than be lost in eternity without him. And when they trip, you bend down, and you meet that rock. And you meet him at whatever level that low level is. And we know how low things can go, right? Because a lot of us have been there. Bend your knee, meet that rock, introduce him to a savior who loves him this much and died for him. Walk with this rock as long as it takes. Love them unconditionally. Share with them the good news. And then hope and pray that one day this rock finds a cornerstone. And one day that rock will turn from where they're going in their direction and they'll turn towards him and they'll be added to the family and they'll do that in baptism. And boy, do we celebrate baptism, right? Because we know how big this is. We know how far that direction is from there to there, right? Because we've all done it. And they'll be added to the living temple. They'll become, instead of a dead stone, they will be a living stone. And you'll watch them get in the water. You may even help dunk them as they rise up new in new life now and eternity and we want to build that wall. That's a church that's better, not bitter. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you for Peter. Thanks for his cool new name, <laughs> The Rock. Father, help, thank you for the message he sent to a church that was suffering 2,000 years ago. And we're starting to see the same things here. There is an enemy out there trying to destroy all of us. And there is a Savior that's trying to bring us all together. Father, the first thing I ask today is this is offering time. This is how we respond to the word and this is how we give ourselves to you. As I ask if we're bitter, it's time to get rid of that behavior. The church has been bitter for a few years now. Arguing about this, caring about this, all the things that don't matter. And we're being built by Christ into a living temple right here in this room. And Holy Spirit, I ask first that we get rid of our bitterness. That's our offering. And if you need help today, just write on a connect card, I need help with this bitterness. Drop that off. Just give us a way to contact you. And we'll walk with you because we all will struggle with bitterness at times. The Father, let's build a place like this off the cornerstone and the one, the name we all just put to that rock way over here on the left 
Let us be brave this week in the power of the Holy Spirit and go out and share the good news with them. When they trip, let's be there. Let's help them stand up, let's dust them off, and let's introduce them to a Savior. Let's flood them with light. The grace, Father, that you've poured into us, let it pour through us into their life and watch them come alive for the first time in their lives. And Father, let our offering today, our financial gifts, everything to move the mission of this church, all the things that we do, all the missionaries we have sent, all the ministries we do locally, everything that we do is fueled by that. So let's give sacrificially and boldly and joyfully. It's the only way we should give. Give our best to you because you gave the best to us. Help us build off this cornerstone. We pray this in Jesus' name.